This episode deals with difficult subject matter surrounding trauma and serious mental health struggles, including suicidal impulses and behavior. If you or a loved one is experiencing suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. You're listening to That Moment When, stories of specific and honest relational touch points that change a person's life. Brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible and CSB Podcast Network. My name is Richard Clark. Pastor Ed Litton is a part of a line of fathers that fought for their lives, both physically and emotionally. When it was time to face his own challenges, Ed was tempted to run. But God had a different plan for his life. In this episode, Ed shares how Christ redefined survival in his own life. I don't think I had a whole lot of fears, but being bereft of my dad probably would have been a fear, even though it was a complicated relationship. My dad was an alcoholic. Uh, He was in the Navy. He joined during World War II and stayed all the way through Vietnam and uh, was dying of his alcoholism even in his 30s. It was taking a toll on him. You know, my dad was so typical of his generation. He was a depression baby. His father owned a grocery store and lost everything he had. He had 10 kids. And when he lost everything, he couldn't bear it. And so literally, he abandoned his family. He moved across town with his parents, who were wealthier, and left his kids to fend for themselves and his his wife. And, And he just couldn't handle watching them hurt, watching them starve, not being able to supply for them. During the Great Depression, a lot of men did that. And and so a lot of families were abandoned in those days. It raised up a generation who would fight World War II. And they probably were some of the most fatherless people that have ever existed in American history. And the military for a lot of them became their father. The Marine Corps, the Navy, the Army. And it it gave structure to their lives. Um, and my dad was very much like that. And um, he was, was a chief boatswain's mate in the Navy, but he worked bagging groceries to make extra money to buy more drugs and alcohol. My mom finally left my dad and took my brother and I across town for several weeks to just figure out a game plan. We went back to the house to get our things. She was going to leave and divorce him. And we found him. For two weeks, he'd been crawling around the house trying to, trying to knock himself out. He'd stocked the house up full of booze and drugs and and uh, he just pleaded with her. He said, take me. I know you're going to leave. I can't stop you. And, and I can't blame you. He said, but take me to see this man. A Baptist pastor would relate to my dad uh, every time he went in, time after time. He was, he was intentional about going into that store. He was trying to reach my dad. So we drove him. And I watched him go in, get on his knees. He stood up sober. I'll never forget it. I could see my dad's face when he got in the car. He turned to my mom and he said, Sue, something just happened to me. 
and I cannot explain it. And then his next statement was, I need to get a Bible. Because <laughs> the man told him he needed a Bible. And, and that man, had a, his name was Charlie Jones, he played a huge impact on discipling my dad. And my dad became radicalized for Jesus in the best way possible and became one of the greatest soul winners I've ever known. And so my, my life changed. And I'll tell you this, even what I saw as an eight-year-old I, I couldn't deny the power of God. I saw him change my dad. I knew there was a God. We grew up pagan. We, we, we never darkened the door of a church. But then the church that uh, we started going to is where Pastor Jones uh, was the pastor, Kimsfield Baptist Church. I remember distinctly a first grade Sunday school teacher teaching me, explaining the gospel to me. I do remember that uh, whether it's a flannel graph or what it was, I understood why Jesus Christ came into this world. His mission was to seek and to save that which is lost. And I understood that I was lost and that I needed a Savior. And I figured if he can save my dad, he'll save me. It was, I, I was on a Sunday night when the gospel invitation was given at the conclusion of the pastor's sermon. I, I told my mom, I said, I, I, I got to go. She thought I meant to the bathroom. And I just, she, went, she said, you'll wait. You know, and I go, no, I'm not going to wait. And I remember jumping on the pew, slipping behind her. And I, I could see her hand grabbing for me. And I got to the aisle and made it to the front and said, man, I want to get saved. In the moment, it, it, I wasn't, uh, I don't think I was nervous or excited. I was determined. I, I, I really sensed God had called me at that moment. I had to obey. And it may have been something the pastor said. I don't recall that. But I just know that I was a man on a mission. Now, years later, I, I really debated that, and I went through a real series in my uh, high school, college years of rebellion because I sensed God called me to preach the gospel, and, and I wasn't interested in that. We moved to Arizona. The only job my dad could get was running a motel that had been a house of prostitution. And a guy bought it and asked my dad if he would clean it up and make a decent business out of it. And so I grew up in a motel uh, in, on a street called the Miracle Mile. and. Uh, we saw one miracle after another. But it's amazing how it tunes you to, to see God moving in some of the most desperate situations. And at that motel, my parents had a ministry of loving people, leading people to Christ, and discipling people. And so uh, I think I came under some unique temptations, the things I was exposed to. And I, I wanted an exciting life. And I, I remember thinking at the time God called me, I thought, Lord, that's not what I want to do. And I thought, ah. so I had a lot better ideas. I wanted to be a broadcaster. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be all sorts of things. But God had a different plan. I was at the University of Arizona, and I had uh, run from God. The problem was I was still living at home because I couldn't afford it. I was paying my own school, and I wasn't doing well either in school. Because I had no direction. I was just, I was, a, I was a, a lost ball in the weeds. And so, but my mom and dad had a rule. And the rule was, if you're going to live in our house, eat our food, you got to go to church on Sunday. So I deliberately found a job that made me work on Sunday. So I could go back and say, hey, sorry, this is how, you know, this is how it works. So I walk into this, uh, I've worked at a hotel as a limo driver and a bellhop. <laughs> so I, uh, I went into my boss and he, I shut the door behind. I said, hey, listen, I, I just need to tell you, 
because he, I mean, he was he was so cool, and I thought I'm a cool kid. He's a cool guy, right? So I knew he'd understand. I said, look, I got my parents are so backward. They, you know, they go to church every Sunday and they demand I do it. Could I work on Sunday? And he looked at me. I'll never forget this. He said, he said, he turned around. He pointed to this picture of a woman. It was who was his mom. He said, I was raised in church. He said, my mom was a godly woman. He said, she's dead now. He said, I'd give anything to be able to go to church with my mom. He said, I was just as stupid as you are. He said, he said, yeah, you're going to work on Sunday, but here's what I'm going to do. You're going to punch out and you're going to take the company limo and you're going to drive to your church. You go to church with your parents, then you're going to come back, punch back in. And and so <laughs> that guy made me go to church. I couldn't, I couldn't get away from it. And let me tell you what happened. At our church at that time, a young pastor came on. He was probably in his early 30s, and I had never heard a man more on fire with the gospel. And uh, I loved his preaching, and I hated going because I felt so guilty because of the lifestyle I was involved in. And at the same time, I, I had to go back. And ultimately, God was saying, I'm going to bring you back. Through a long series of a, some very difficult moments, I found myself in the middle of the night on a street waiting for a light to change. Couldn't stop crying. And, and I had been deeply crushed and hurt, and I heard the voice of the Lord in my head. And he simply asked a question. It was ever so simple, soft and sweet, and this is what he asked. Or not a question, he simply made a statement. He said, this is not what I had planned for you. I said, you know what? Anything you've got's gotta be better than what I've tried to do for myself. So that was the turning point for me. I'll never forget when I left for college and I, I left under the call of the ministry and, and I, I switched four years into it to go to Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, which was a Baptist school at the time, to prepare for ministry and then go, go on to seminary later. But I'll never forget that goodbye. Uh, my car was packed. I'm getting ready to drive away 100 miles down the road. And my dad hugged me and I can, I can to this day feel that hug. I can feel it because he he said something. He said, he said, Ed, I'm not going to be there to watch you. I'm not going to be there to take care of you. I'm not going to be there to see you mess up. I won't know any of those things. He said, but you have a father in heaven and he will see everything. But you also know he will also provide all that you need. There's no doubt it was love. I received it with a, a I mean, it was stunning. I remember I thought about it the whole trip. I just got handed over. I'm on my own. In the midst of my discipleship, God brought an amazing woman into my life and we married. Her name is Tammy, and we moved to, uh, after my graduate from college, we moved to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, and finished there. I worked on staff at a church in the Fort Worth area called Eulis, uh, First Baptist Eulis, Texas. and had, It was a big church, had great experiences there. But we went back to Arizona after seminary in 1986. And in 1987, we planted a church in Tucson, and uh, we we're there for seven and a half years. And God blessed it. Uh, then God brought us to Mobile, 
and Tammy was with me in this ministry until 14 years after we moved here. We were actually celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary, and uh, Tammy was killed in a car accident. And we have three children. Two boys were in college, and my 13-year-old daughter was actually with her in the accident. And, and it, you're talking about flipping your life upside down. And I remember even driving to the crash scene for where, where Tammy's car was, I, uh, I had a pretty good idea that what I was facing. And I, I remember the sense of utter helplessness that I sense there's nothing I can do about this. The next morning that I woke up, my first thought was this was a bad nightmare. But when I looked over and she wasn't in bed, I. I was reminded, oh, it's not a nightmare, it's reality. What do I do? I do what the only thing I could do, the only thing I've done for all the years before is I would go into my dark place in my study, this very room I'm in right now, and cry out to God. Say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, but turn to you. And I went through bitterness, I went through difficulty, I went through, uh, you know, God, why? Uh, and, and I knew, too, from Scripture that I was entering in the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, for the first time, I, 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 I didn't want to preach. I didn't care if I ever preached. And I remember specifically saying, Lord, how long is this going to take? Because at that moment, my greatest probably fear Besides for my children, was for the, the death of this. Could I survive this? Would I survive this? Would my faith survive this? And, and I wanted to kill myself. I was tempted to kill myself. Uh, dark, dark places. It's a miracle I, I didn't take my life. There were probably multiple ways he saved me from this. But my church in East Tennessee had a library. It, it, was just, it was an old country building, small church, but this corner of a room had a library in it, and I remember taking a book out. The book I read as a kid on the life of Teddy Roosevelt. And I don't know what that was doing in a church library, but I remember, I remember he became my hero when I read that book. Years later, I was up there preaching. I, I found that book. And I, was, I checked it out like 10 times, read it over and over. It was a kid's book, but they told the story of how Teddy's wife, Anne, died in childbirth the same day his mother died. And he just went into a fit of grief, left everything, left his daughter who was born and took off to the Dakota Territory to hunt criminals and horse thieves. And so... His life was totally altered by that experience, but his relationship with Anne, his daughter, was destroyed. Now, think about this. I have a 13-year-old daughter who just went through an accident with her mom, and the one thing that kept me from running to the Dakota Territories was the memory of what that did to that girl. And I thought, I can't do that. 
Now, if that's not the if that's not an illustration of the providence of God, I don't know what is. That God would know before years when I was t- nine, ten years old, He would know. Eleven years old, He would know that what I, my life was going to be. He's going to say, "I'm going to prep you for this right now." And the things of God are beyond my capacity to understand. But it's not beyond my capacity to trust. Because the day came in that valley of the shadow of death, I said to him, I don't care how long it takes. You are with me. And your rod and your staff, they truly do comfort me. And your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so trusting in him was the wisest and the sweetest thing I've ever done. I love the dynamic of knowing that I stand between heaven and earth uh, with a message from God for people and that it's his word and his spirit that applies it. My job is just to be obedient to him in that and and, uh, to love those people and let let my brokenness come through that message. I used to think I could not preach my life, but you can't. Uh, You preach your brokenness. I have a lot of people who find themselves in my place, typically pastors, and they will call on me. And I'm, I'm so grateful they do. But I got to tell you, it's a ministry I don't want. Uh, it's a ministry that brings me to tears when I'm talking, when I hear their heartache. It brings me to tears. And I think, do I really want to revisit this? And I do. I absolutely do. I, because he is so good and he is so faithful. And he cannot be otherwise. As a matter of fact, I had the most amazing experience right out of Romans chapter 8, where it says, His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And it happened right after Tammy died. About a month later, I was in prayer one day, and the Lord, just as plain as day, brought that scripture to mind and said, You really are my child. It blew me away. I I, I wept. I said, Wait a second. I wasn't asking you for that. Where'd that come from? And it was just his goodness and his grace and our, and our suffering. He just said, you are my child. And the, the journey did not stop being difficult at that point. But God, several years ago, brought a woman into my life named Kathy. And Kathy and I were married. Her husband was a pastor in Denver, Colorado. His name was Rick Ferguson. And he was killed in a car accident with his family and uh, several years before Tammy was. And then, so we, we share a very common life journey. We didn't know each other. I knew of the Fergusons, I knew of the accident and prayed for them, but had no idea in a few years I'd be in the same boat. And, and you know, everybody, everybody faces their, their tragedy and their, their suffering differently. But that we all suffer is, is, is the truth. This is no fantasy. This is no fairy tale. This is reality. But it's, it's those moments that prove the, the consistent daily work of God in His Spirit by His Word in our lives. You definitely have a survival mode. I mean, my dad and his family were trying to survive in, in the Great Depression uh, to stave off starvation. Survival in war, survival in COVID, survival 
in all the things uh, that we face in this life. In the last three weeks, we've had five COVID funerals in my church. And, and I, it, it's, it's devastating. It's the kind of things I heard about in seminary of ages past where a tornado or a hurricane would wipe out a town and half the congregation would be killed. It is about survival. It's not survival of the fittest. In Christ, it's survival of the weakest. It's survival of, and you know, it, it, it changes. Jesus changes every perspective in life. Thank God he does because we can have joy even in the midst of survival. Deprivation, lacking, and sometimes our fear is we'll go without something. And he says, I'll never leave, and I'll never forsake you. That Moment Win is hosted by Richard Clark, produced by Nick Thompson, edited by Kaylin Richardson, brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible and CSB Podcast Network. For more information, go to csbpodcastnetwork.com.